This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. We're going to jump right into the Word today, so I'm going to invite you to grab your Bibles. If you haven't already, uh, take out your uh, your smartphones and download the outline from our app today. Today we're going to uh, continue in a series that we started last week. We're calling it Essentials of the Faith. You know, we're living in a world that's accelerated. We're living in a time that uh, is very, very complex. If you haven't realized and or felt it, I mean, it feels like things are moving faster and faster and faster. We're living in a time that's very unpredictable. Uh, We're having to make very quick changes and adjustments. And because of that, it's creating a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress, a lot of worry. A recent survey came out that three out of five individuals say that they feel stress, that they feel a lot of anxiety. Seven out of 10, the survey said, are concerned about the future. They're worried about what's coming, what's happening, what's taking place. When we were looking and researching, uh, even in, in preparation for today's message, young people are walking through a very difficult time right now. They're worried about their future. They're worried about their career. They're worried about finances and money, education. Are they going back to school? College students not knowing what's going to happen next. And boy, the age-long, you know, struggle of relationships over and over. So much that's happening all around us. And social media is making us feel more and more insecure about our lives. There's less certainty. There's more anxiety. There's more stress, more worry. uh, And all of that is making us feel more apprehensive about what's happening. And it's infiltrating our modern life. And so today, in today's essential of the faith, I'm going to take us back to a character that we looked at in March. We looked at him one week. We looked at the life of Daniel and Daniel determined in his heart. And we looked at how Daniel focused on his life and what he was determined to do. But today's essential is going to turn us a little bit and have us looking at something a little bit different. And that is the essential that I believe is important for us to learn how to discern our times, to develop cultural discernment. And I'm going to describe that, help you to understand that today and help us to begin to understand what we need, I believe, in this time and how to do it. Now, before I do, let me give us a little background again of the book of Daniel and the life of Daniel. It'll help us as I begin to dive into his story today. It's not as much I'm going to read his story as tell you his story and unpack three truths of how we can develop cultural discernment and describe that for you. Now, our story picks up in the book of Daniel with King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar is from Babylon and they Babylon the Babylonians overthrow Israel. And as they overthrow Israel, one of their tactics is that they would take the very best of the best, especially the young men, the smart, handsome young men, when they would conquer the bright 
greatest that was there, they would separate them from their families. And as they would, they would usually take them back to Babylon and they would spread them all over the region so that they would not cluster together. You see, Nebuchadnezzar in the Babylonian plan and Babylon represents our world today. Don't miss that. King Nebuchadnezzar represents the evil, wicked uh, uh, ruler and that can be likened to the enemy of your soul, Satan himself that's out to kill, steal, and destroy. And what they would do is their plan would be to separate the best, the brightest, the young, the strong. And as they would, their plan was to separate them so that they could begin to brainwash them, so that they could begin to get them to assimilate into the culture of the Babylonians. And they would want to get them uh, in a place where they could begin to indoctrinate them. We see even in the life of Daniel that it was a three-year program. And what Babylon, and we have to recognize that we're living in a Babylon today, what Babylon was trying to do was to get them to change, to change their thinking, to change their worship, to change their lifestyle. They would have them begin to learn the language, the culture. Now, Babylon was a very evil and wicked society. It was a pagan society. King Nebuchadnezzar was a wicked king. I told you back in March, he was uh, uh, so wicked that they would kill the babies by throwing them against the rocks. They were deep, deep, deep in a cult, in demonic influence. If there was a state religion, the state religion was satanic. It was pagan. It was wicked. There was a strong evil spirit that was there. There was, we even know in the book of Daniel, what was called the Prince of Persia. I was even praying this week as I was preparing. And uh, I mean, all day long as I was praying, it just kept coming back into my mind. If we were to identify the even wicked spirit over this moment, over South Florida, over America, over your region of the world, what would be his name? What would be the name of that spirit? The Prince of Persia. There was an evil spirit, a strong heaviness that was there. King Nebuchadnezzar was about self-exaltation and, and exalting himself. And, and there was an arrogance was there. And, and there was a defiance against God. Now, when I look at Babylon and when I look at King Nebuchadnezzar, I come back again. And that's where Pastor Stephen mentioned a few moments ago, uh, even to those that were in the auditorium, that there's a message that's been stirring in my heart because we are in this Babylonian moment. And there is a wicked, evil rule over the world and his name is Satan and Satan is out to kill, steal and destroy your life and your faith and your walk and your testimony and your confidence in the promises of who God is. And so today I want us to learn how to develop a cultural discernment that helps us. And as we do, I want you to remember what Babylon was trying to do. And I think what God wants you to recognize what the enemy's trying to do in your life in my life right now in this moment. Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar was trying to change the, the thinking of these Hebrew boys and, and those that they would take, the thinking. They would change their names and, and they, would give them, uh, uh, they would give them Babylonian names and, and try to get them to adapt and assimilate, to begin to think 
to begin to believe the values of what they were learning in that moment in the society of that moment. But not only were they trying to think, uh, change their thinking, their values, their way of life that they, they had learned to, to identify with, but King Nebuchadnezzar was trying to change their worship. That no longer they were, were worshiping the God of Israel. No longer were they turning their hearts to him, but they were beginning to worship a king, King Nebuchadnezzar, the God of this world. And the battle is always a battle for your heart. The battle is always a battle of who will you worship? What will you bow to? What will be the idols in your life? That is still our challenge today. And then thirdly, King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian uh, uh, plan was to get the, the young Hebrew boys, and, and it's our battle as well today, to change their lifestyle, that they would revolt against or turn away from or walk away, or, or maybe it wasn't as blank, blatantly uh, obvious of what, what they were trying to do, but get them to abandon, to have an apathetic heart, to begin to, to look and to perceive and to begin to move away from the values and the culture and the teachings and the beliefs that they once had as they begin to drift. And my fear is, are we in a drifting moment as the body of Christ? Are we drifting away from the roots of our faith, from the God that we know that we are saved in and we're sanctified? Are we drifting away? Is apathy, complacency coming over us? We have to recognize what is going on. Why have I picked this series and why are we talking about this? Is I want our faith to be resilient. Can you say that with me? Type it in. Resilient faith. What does resilient mean? Well, resilient means that someone is able to, to withstand and recover quickly any from any difficult condition or situation that they may go through. That they're able to stand strong, that they're resilient. Or if they get knocked down, they bounce back up. They're resilient. They recover quickly. They're able to, to recoil or spring back and, and get back into shape after a bending or a stretch or a time of being pressured that they are resilient. So let me say it again. I believe God wants you and I. An essential of our faith is that we have a resilient faith. And the problem is, is we're living in Babylon. The problem is right now is if we don't recognize what's happening. We drift and apathy and complacency is grabbing us and we don't recognize what's happening. And before long, we lose the resilience of our faith. A resilient faith. Why is it important? Is it helps you. It helps you when temptation comes. It helps you know how to stand. You have the tools, the understanding, how to press through the anxiety, the stress, the pressures, and the worries. You understand the power. A resilient faith, one that's resilient in their faith, understands the power of prayer. That in the greatest moments of anxiety and stress, we don't abandon what's most important, but we press through and we bounce back and we withstand and we withstand with the tools that God has already given to us. And we don't forget what they are. 
And in these moments, we press through with the power of prayer and we understand that God is a God of deliverance and he will deliver his people. This is not the first time that we're understanding in God's uh, uh, world of history that God's people have gone through pressure and they've gone through difficulties and there's stress and there's anxiety and they're wondering what God is going to do. But there was a resilience that pushes them through. The message I preached back in March on Daniel is Daniel determined in his heart. And my prayer today as I teach you how to develop cultural discernment and we understand what that is, that there's a determination in your heart that you're going to have a resilient faith, that you're going to say, God, I'm going to stand and I'm going to press through and I'm going to persevere and no matter what comes at me, God, I'm not going to be overwhelmed and overcome. A leader of my church, right, of our church, uh, the other day said to me, very simply, they're just going to have to get their psyche right. We were talking about uh, uh, just some things that were happening. And he said, they're just going to have to get an older saint, been walking with the Lord a long time. They're just going to have to get their psyche right. And I said, you know what, God, that's resilience. That I don't lose perspective. I don't lose a hope of what I know and what God is teaching me. And if I don't know it, I pray that we'll learn it. So what is cultural discernment. I have a definition for you in the outline. You'll see it on the screen if you haven't pulled up your outline. A definition of discernment, cultural discernment is this. If they'll pop it up, the ability to compare, to compare beliefs, values, customs, and conditions of the world that we live in. That's this world that we're walking through, the physical world that we know that we can compare the beliefs, the values, the customs, and the creations of this world we live in to those of the world that we belong to, which is the kingdom of God. Culturally discerning what is of this world and what doesn't align to that of the world that I belong to as a part of the kingdom of God. You see, as children of God, when you give your life to God, you become God's children, and therefore now your citizenship, the Bible says, is no longer American or Nigerian or Jamaican or Haitian or whatever European or Asian country that you may be in or looking from or watching from or a part of. That is now not your eternal citizenship. It's your earthly citizenship. Your eternal citizenship is that you're a part of the the kingdom of God. Can I hear an amen? Now, a world that's different than our culture and our behaviors and our beliefs is that world that we belong to, and we've got to learn to recognize the two. Now, Peter was dealing with this. I want to take you to the book of Peter for a moment, and then I'll come back to Daniel. But Peter was dealing with this when he, when he was writing in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6. Now, as I read this, I want you to remember the background of 1 Peter is the believers were in a fiery trial. It was a difficult time for the believers. They, they, they had lost their homes, their property. They were running uh, for their lives in many, in many cases, and, and they were fleeing. And in that fear, Peter is writing to the church. And he says in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6. So be truly glad 
that there is a wonderful joy ahead, even though that you have endure and you have to endure many trials for a little while. Not just one trial, not just, not just a pandemic or a pressure or an anxiety or a relational issue or an issue at work. No, he says there's many trials that we're going to have to endure for a while. But these trials, what we're going through now, these trials will show that your faith is what? Genuine. That your faith is genuine. These trials are showing that. They're proving that. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. That through, though, uh, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold, so that when your faith remains strong through these many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor it will bring honor on that day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world now remember he's talking about these trials that they're undergoing it was it was a life and he says it's full of trials and these trials are purifying you they're strengthening your faith Cultural discernment is understanding that what I'm walking through, the trial, the problem, the situation, the anxiety, the worry, all of the uncertainty of the future, if I can have a broader understanding, then it will purify and strengthen my faith. How I think, what I believe has a big difference, makes a big difference in how resilient I'm going to be. You see, if you get caught in the trial and in the anxiety and what's happening, you will begin to lose your resilience in your faith. You'll be tossed around by the problems and the trials and the anxiety and the worries. He goes on to say, look down in verse 13. He'll unpack it a little bit more there. And he, he begins to show them that this terrible persecution and all that they're going through, he'll pick up and say, so think clearly and exercise self-control. By the way, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. It's something we need to develop in our life. Self-control. That's a whole other sermon. Look forward to what? The gracious salvation that will come. Salvation, yes, our eternal salvation, but also deliverance and salvation in the trial of the moment. You will see that when the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world, verse 14, so you must live as obedient children. Walk a life of obedience. Don't slip back into your old life, an old way of living to satisfy your own desires. You don't know any better. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is what? Holy. For the scripture says, you must be holy, for I am holy. So Peter says, how do, you, how do you press through and how do you understand and what is this and why is this important is because I told you last week that what we're going through is not the end of the story and the key for you and I to develop this persistence and this attitude and this strength is to keep our eyes on eternity. Peter says, don't forget that this isn't your home, that these trials are strengthening you and you've got to continue to focus on obeying God, he says, and continue to perfect holiness. That's a work of sanctification in my life. And as you do it, I will be there with you. So 
Here, what we're talking about is this cultural discernment is a discernment that helps you to begin to understand how should I live? How do I make sense of life? How do I respond to the circumstances and all that's happening around me? So today what I want to do is I want to take a few moments here to share with you three simple thoughts of how to develop cultural discernment. If we go back to the life of Daniel, in the life of Daniel, Daniel was with the other young men. They were put into the culture. They were assimilated in. They would begin to learn the language. They would begin to interact with not only the officials and and the government and those that were around them, but Daniel and himself had to learn how to relate to and respond to the king. Now, the interesting thing about Daniel is Daniel worked for three different, uh, if it would be, uh, different political regimes in his life. He would be an advisor to them. So he learned how to navigate and work with. Just think about it. You know, for one regime, it was the Democratic Party. Then the next regime, it was the Republican Party. Then the next regime, it all got thrown up and it was the Independent Party that got somebody in office. And he worked for all three of them. He learned how to navigate in that time. Now, for those that were in the audience, I think I just lost you by going political. But Daniel learned how to work in all three. He, he was an advisor there. The scripture says he studied the scripture. He learned to get into God's word and to understand in the culture that he was living, in the times that he was navigating, he learned to understand God's voice and what God was saying to him in those moments. A key value for you and I. And he learned to stand for God. He was willing to make a stand for God regardless of what was, what was happening around him. So number one, how do you develop cultural discernment? How, how do we navigate what I'm talking about here? Today, number one, I want you to write it down is we have to learn to frame and filter reality. Say it with me. Frame and filter reality. Say it again. Reality. Somebody write it in the chat box for me. We've got to frame and filter reality. What does that mean is we've got to understand. We've got to frame it. It's got to be what's happening, the reality of what's in, in my life right now, the world that I'm walking through, the pandemic and the stresses and the trials and the anxiety. I've got to get it into a frame because it's not the total picture. It's a frame of what God is happy what's happening and I've got to see God's allowed it in this moment and I've got to filter it to get to a place of reality our world the things that are happening to me in these times for many today it's becoming increasingly more difficult to know what is real to understand the truth and, and reality in the moment through technology and media and social uh, media. We're living in, if, if we could coin it, many are calling it a digital Babylon. We're living in Babylon and it's a digital Babylon. The amount of content that, that we're consuming is distorting reality and we are losing the frame and the filter of this moment and we're getting caught up in digital Babylon and we're losing a proper understanding of how to live. 
If we don't frame and filter reality, if we don't have a cultural discernment of the moment, the digital Babylon that we're living in will begin to distort it and we will begin to lose the perspective. And when we do that, we begin to lose the battle. We begin to assimilate like the Babylonians were trying to get Daniel and and the Hebrew boys to assimilate and to drift away from their values, to change the thinking, to change the worship, and to change their lifestyle. If we're not careful, digital Babylon will begin to do that for us. So we've got to have... We've got to have cultural discernment. We must frame and filter this reality. Let's talk about the the content that's coming at us, what we're consuming today. Today in digital Babylon, sex is being portrayed as something for personal fulfillment and and, and therefore self-denial is considered unhealthy. That's what digital Babylon is telling us. Any kind of sexual expression of life, as long as it's consensual, is okay. Where God's word would say no, it's in the confines of marriage. When a man and a woman that were born, a man and a woman at birth, come together in a holy matrimony, making a covenant before God and man. When they make that covenant before God and man, there is something that takes place and God has given the beautiful gift of sexuality in the confines of marriage. But for you and I, we're living in digital Babylon. And as long as it's consensual, it's okay. Just follow your hearts. If something is true, it's only true if it feels true. So if it feels true, it feels right, it feels acceptable, it feels pleasurable, therefore it must be true. And the problem is, is we begin to lose an understanding. Uh, uh, The frame and the filter gets lost of the reality and reality begins to get distorted. So if you follow your dreams, you'll be happy. Follow your dreams. You can do anything you want. These are the things that are coming at us. And all of a sudden, it begins to sound right. And even when I said that, somebody said, well, I can do anything I want. It's not true. You may not have the gifts. You may not have the ability. I love these musicians. I wish I could compose and sing and play and do what these musicians can do. I would love to do that. And my mom could have told me all my life, you can do anything you want. If you want to do it, go and do it. And the reality is I can't do it. It's not in me. It's not there. I don't have the ability to do it, the gift to do it. I can't do just anything I want. But yet we're told this and we begin to follow our heart. We begin to follow after these messages of what we get. And boy, before we know it, the frame gets distorted. The filter is removed. In Daniel chapter 3, if we fast forward over to Daniel chapter 3, the king makes a big golden image, an image of himself. What he's trying to do, why did he do that? Is because they had been conquering. Babylon had been conquering all of these nations. They were taking the brightest and the best. They were bringing them into Babylon. They were spreading them all out. And now the king is saying, how am I going to unify my nation? So he has the idea, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to build a golden image of myself and at a certain time, everyone's to bow down and to worship it. It was his way of bringing unity, but it was also his way of exalting himself and beginning to to lift up uh, uh, the image of who he was into his kingdom. 
digital Babylon. The Babylon that we live in, why do we have to be culturally discerning? Is because it's trying to change your thinking, your worship, and your lifestyle. I'm going to keep coming back to it because that is what we're fighting and that is what cultural discernment is. Where is the culture that I live in trying to change my thinking of what I know to be true and what the Bible says? I've got to be aware of that. One of the greatest dangers we see in the church right now is that there are believers, followers of Christ, those of you that are watching me right now, that you are not discerning enough to know the truth of the word of God and what God says to discern what is accurate and genuine and true like Peter says and what is false. Because digital Babylon is going to come in with truths mixed with falsehood and, 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 and that which distorts it and it corrupts and contaminates the whole when we put in a little bit of mistruth or that which is not authentic and real into it. Digital Babylon is telling us constantly, telling us at a very, very deep, almost unconscious level what to believe, what to think, how to feel, what to live for, what to worship. It's creating this larger than life image, larger than life image that it wants us to worship images even of myself or, or, or what my desires are that it wants me to worship. And we find ourselves in digital Babylon in this moment, in this culture that we're living in, that we're tested and we're being tested. Peter says our faith is being tested to create this image an image of even ourselves on, on how to impress, what we've got to do to be liked or accepted or to get our voice out. And, it, and it's creating this and we got to understand. We've got to learn to frame and filter reality. And that is the challenge for me, is to recognize it. The challenge for you, for our children, for those of us that have parents, that are parents and have children at home. How do we, how do we recognize the distortion of reality and the distortion of God's promise and truth. But when we learn to frame and filter, it gives us cultural discernment. That's what the Bible says, that we live in the world, but we're not what? Of the world. Why? It's because we've got cultural discernment. We're framing, we're filtering reality to that which is of this world, to that which is of the world that I belong to and has the values of the kingdom of God. So first of all, hopefully you've written it down, we frame and filter reality. Secondly, how do you develop cultural discernment? Secondly, you've got to anchor to the Bible. Say it with me, anchor to the Bible. In fact, we did a spiritual growth campaign a few years ago called Anchored. I saw someone with a shirt on this week. It was actually somebody in a place of employment. They didn't even go to our church. They were given one of the shirts. It was so cool. I saw them wearing our Anchored shirt. And I said, man, that's cool. Where'd you get that shirt? And Because and, I, I had never seen them at the church before. And they told me who gave them the shirt. That is so cool. I hope all of you do that. Take those old shirts in your, you know, uh, in your closet, whatever. Give them out and then let others buy shirts. I mean, they were wearing this Anchored shirt and it was a series where we talked about what does it mean to be anchored to the word of God you see you develop cultural discernment when you anchor to God's word look in the two scriptures I've got in your outline Psalms 119 verse 104 your commandments give me understanding underline it if you can give me understanding no wonder I hate every what false way of life. 
When you anchor to the Bible, it sets you. It aligns you. You begin to know the truth. It begins to be the thing that will guide you. You anchor to it, and therefore, the psalmist says, no wonder. I mean, it was a moment of reflection. Your commandments, they give me understanding. No wonder I hate every false way of life. Look at the next verse I have. Psalms 19 and verse 7. The law of the Lord. The word of God. The Bible. The law of the Lord is what? Perfect. Underline it. Perfect. Doing what? The second thing. Circle it. Reviving the soul. The word of God is perfect and it revives the soul. The statues of the Lord are trustworthy, doing what? Making, making wise the simple. You see, the importance of anchoring to the word of God. Here in this verse that we just read in, in, in Psalms 19 and verse 7, it says, the law of the Lord, the word of God, the ways of God, the principles of God, they're perfect. They're perfect. The Bible is completely accurate. It will guide us. It is, a, it is the very thing that will shine on our path. As we get into the word, we begin to understand in a much greater way. And it is perfect. The Bible is not just doctrine. It's not just theology. It's not just a bunch of teachings about moral and ethics. It's more than that. It's historical. It's about real people, real lives, real time, real events, stories and lessons that come out of their life. And when we anchor to it, it gives us perspective to walk through similar situations that we may encounter. The Bible the Bible is a collection of eyewitnesses. Historians will tell you that the best account for history is eyewitnesses. Those that saw it, they talk about it, they give it. It's not second or third or fourth hand. It's what they know and they tell the story. That's the Bible. It's primarily eyewitness accounts and it's good history and it guides us. It's a gathering of books. 66 different books over a, a period of 1,500 years, 39 in what we call the Old Testament, and 27 in what we call the New Testament, and all of them are weaving a narrative and a story, and that is that God will deliver his people, God will go before them, that God will make a way, that God, even though sin has come into our life and sin separates us from God, that God is bringing us back into relationship with him through his son. Jesus Christ. The narrative of Jesus is written all the way through the Bible. You can read it with all of these different authors over 1,500 years and you can see that narrative coming. Written different languages, three different continents, and yet there's a consistency of message without any contradiction. That is our Bible that we anchor to. The law of the Lord is perfect. Write it down. It is perfect. And it says reviving the soul. Now remind yourself, what is your soul? It is your mind and your emotions. So the law of the Lord, the Bible, is perfect and it revives. It brings to life. It restores your soul. 
You see, there is a supernatural power in the word of God to change things, especially in the heart of men and women. God will come in and bring encouragement to us. It will revive your soul. It will recreate life. It will bring life to the very essence of who you are. In fact, tomorrow, starting tomorrow, and I want to invite everyone that's watching and listening today, I want to encourage you to join us. Starting tomorrow, we're going to begin doing something different with our noontime uh, prayer and inspiration. Is that over this next season, I don't know, five, four, five weeks, every day, Monday through Friday, starting at noon, and then it replays all day long, every day, we're going to walk through the book of James. We're going to take 15 minutes. So how cool is this? If you'll join us every day over the next month, at the end of the month, we will walk through the book of James. And James so elegantly helps us to understand the time that we live in and gives us practical advice of how to persevere through it. Our pastoral team here at Christian Life Center is going to be helping to lead those. It's going to be a time of reflection on a little passage of scripture, a few thoughts, and then we're going to prayerfully pray it and apply it and, and, and just say, God, we ponder this and we put it in our heart so that we can live it out. Our faith gets wheels and actions for life that we live here and throughout South Florida or wherever we're listening. That's so cool. It's starting tomorrow. I hope that you'll join us. See, that's what God says his word does. It's reviving the soul. Let me show you another scripture here that I have. 2 Timothy 3.15 in your notes. The holy scriptures, the Bible, which are able to make you wise, wise for salvation through faith in Christ. Last week I told you a key, one of the essentials in faith Love, faith, and, and, and hope, and, 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 and endurance. One of the essentials we talked about last week was this abiding in Christ. Remaining in Christ. Being revived. It will make you wise, the scripture says. God's ways, God's promises. I learned to trust him. Now, I frame, I filter reality, I anchor to the Bible, and as I do, it pulls me through. I want to read two more scriptures. I'm not going to elaborate on them in this point because I want to share the last point before we end. I'm going to invite our musicians to come back up. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. I don't know where I got 6. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 for the word of the Lord, say it with me, is what? Living and active. Sharper than the two-edged sword. I mean, it's alive. It's living. I mean, it's not just static words on a page. It transforms and it's active. Sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit. I mean, it's sharp. It's like the scalpel of a highly skilled surgeon. And I get exactly what I need. Has that ever happened to you when you're reading the word of God? I mean, Candy and I can be studying the same patches of scripture and God's doing a work on her in one way and he's doing a work on me in another way. That's what God does. He is using that word in our life. Cutting to the joints and tomorrow, it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Look over at James. James 1, I have in your outline, James 1, 23. Now, we'll be studying this a little bit deeper in a few weeks in our noontime prayer and devotion. But anyone who listens to the word and does not do what it says is like a man who what looks at his face in the mirror. 
And after looking at himself, he goes away and he immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently, looks intently, reads, reflects, thinks about it, ponders it, you know, is, is like the man that looks or the one that looks in the mirror. It becomes a habit. That's why I invite you, join us tomorrow. Make it a habit to start going through the word. He looks intently into the perfect law, God's word, the Bible, and it gives freedom. And he continues to do it. Continues to do what? Study the word, researching, write it down, meditating, even in life group, talking about how to apply it. He continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard. Not forgetting, memorizing, getting the word into my heart. I've had people say, I can't memorize the word. Yeah, you can. You memorize your pen numbers, your passwords. Some of you in fantasy football, you know all the stats of all your players. You know when to trade them and when not to. I mean, right now we're in a bubble playing you know, basketball and soccer and you're watching, you remember all these things. You remember what you want to remember. You remember important things. If I were to give you a phone number right now and I gave it really quick and I said it really quick and you had no way to write it down and I say that if you call me today, you'll get a million dollars. You will remember that phone number. You'll remember that phone number. All right, so let me give you Pastor Nadine's phone number right now. Call her. <laughs> you'll remember. We remember what we want to remember. So we frame and filter reality. How do you develop cultural discernment? You anchor to the Bible. And thirdly, you walk in wisdom. You walk in wisdom. Now, I'm going to say it on camera. I'm going to get into trouble later. But we got a lot of stupidity happening right now. Walk in wisdom as children of God. What is wisdom? You got to understand. Wisdom is understanding and applying God's perspective in a situation. You've got to walk in wisdom. Some of you are walking in your own human knowledge and logic and in your own feelings. And the problem is your feelings are distorted because you've lost the frame and you're not filtering reality. We're getting caught up in the digital Babylon and digital Babylon is drifting us from the word of God and we've lost the anchor, which is the plumb line, which is the thing that brings us back to walking in wisdom. If you'll walk in wisdom, there'll be cultural discernment. When you walk in wisdom, you'll be a doer of the word and not just a hearer of the word. You'll apply it to your life. Every passage of scripture, when I'm reading it, every sermon I ever hear, doesn't matter who's sharing it, I'm saying, God, how can I apply it to my life? problem for many of us is we become Pharisees and Sadducees and rulers of the law. We know the law. We've been around it, but we're not applying it to our lives. How much of God's word do you know that you're not living right now? Walking in wisdom is taking God's perspective and applying it, his understanding, his word. I've anchored to the word and I begin to bring it into my situation. 
Now, can I tell you, walking in wisdom and discernment is a muscle that you've got to develop, a muscle of your faith. Let me share one final scripture in closing. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 9, Paul says, he's writing from prison, I pray that your love, remember last week we talked about enduring love, an essential of the faith. I pray that your love will overflow more and more. And can I just have a moment off just to say, what's going to get us through this time right now is love. An enduring love. And as the body of Christ, I appeal to you, let your love, love for God, overflow in your love for one another. Paul says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more, that you will keep on growing, underline it, in your knowledge and your understanding. For I want you to understand that what really matters, I, for I want you to understand that what really matters is this, so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always, say it with me, be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Christ Jesus, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. Wisdom, write it down, is the master key to all of the treasures of life. When you and I learn to walk in wisdom. So cultural discernment, a new term I know that I've given to you today, and I hope I've taken, <laughs> I've taken uh, uh, the proper steps to helping you understand it. How do you develop it? Well, first of all, you frame and filter reality. You anchor to the Bible. And thirdly, you walk in wisdom. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.